Well, good deal. Well, welcome to our Savior's Church. If you're a first-time guest or a visitor with us, we'd uh, just ask you to fill out a card on the back of the seat in front of you. There's a, just a little Connect card. We'd ask you to fill that out, and if you would, just find one of the ushers after service and give it to them. And uh, we really appreciate you being here this morning. Right, church? Come on. Good. Well, welcome back to our series entitled Heart for His House. Last week, we started a series talking about God's heart for his house. Amen? God's heart for his house. Whose house? His house. Not your house, his house. Amen? We talked about how God has a vision for his house. Last week, we talked specifically about Jesus is building his house. We talked about Jesus loves his house. And we talked about Jesus is the heart of the house. You see, anybody can go and build a house, but the question is, is, Who has the heart of the house? Who is the house built around? Who is the house built for? You see, if you build the house for yourself, you build a house in vain. If you build a house for Jesus, you build it, and the the Bible says that the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. Hallelujah and amen. Jesus is the heart of the house. So this morning, I want to talk to you about God's vision for his house. Proverbs chapter 29, if you brought your Bibles, it might be on the screen. If not, use your Bibles this morning. But Proverbs 29, 18 says, where there is no prophetic vision, the people are discouraged, but blessed is he who keeps the law. So where there's no prophetic vision, the people are discouraged. In the message, it says it this way. If people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. Wow, isn't that good? If there's no vision, people start stumbling, right? Listen, there's too many churches in America today to just do church just to have church. They've lost their vision. They've lost their hope. They've lost the reason that they even meet together. They just meet together and whatever happens just kind of happens. I don't believe God's satisfied with that. Amen? He has a vision for this house. The rest of that verse says, but when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. So you're most blessed when you're fulfilling the vision of God. Isn't that good? You're most blessed when you're doing what? Not your will, but God's will. You want to live a blessed life? You want to have prosperity? You want to have a great marriage? You want to have great kids? You want to do great things? You want to have peace in your mind, peace in your marriage, peace in your heart, peace in your house? Then you need to fulfill the vision of God and stop trying to fulfill your own vision. That was a good place to say amen. Dear goodness. I'm going to get you warmed up in a minute. You see, every time I get discouraged, every time things start to rip, tear, and break in my life, it's because I slip away from God's vision, and I start trying to accomplish my vision. And that causes division. Amen? It causes division. Listen, you're put on this planet for a reason. When you gave your life to Jesus, you no longer belong to yourself. You belong to Christ. Amen? The Bible says you have been inherited. You are royalty. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? God's vision for his house is to, number one, reach people. Say that with me. Say reach people. 
Do you know we're called to reach people? We're called to reach people. We're not called just to get saved just for us and be all that we can be for ourselves. We're called to, to give our lives to Christ and then, and then to go and give others the opportunity to have the hope that we have. Amen? I mean, listen, my life changed when I gave my life to Christ. When I met Jesus, it changed. There was something different. When I got serious about him, I realized how serious he is about me. Come on. Man, he loves me. He's got a plan for me. He's, his mind is consumed with me. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, he was looking at me. Amen? The first part of God's vision for his house is to reach people. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Starting at verse 17, one of my old memory verses, I love this verse, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Say new creation. Wow, that means you don't have to be the old ugly creature you used to be. Come on. You might even smell better since you met Jesus. (laughs) The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. When you gave your life to Christ, you were reconciled back to God. That's what that means. That's what the Bible says, that you were reconciled. That means that you were brought back into relationship with God. Because listen to me, outside of Jesus, before you met Jesus, you were an enemy of God. That's what Romans says. Romans says you were an enemy of God. But when you gave your life to Jesus, you were then reconciled. You were brought back into relationship with Jesus. Are you getting that? It's a bringing back. It's a restoring of a relationship. And at the end of that part, he says this. He says, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So not only were you reconciled. The Bible talks about true repentance is when you, when you were taken from the power of Satan and you were brought into the power of God. Are you with me? So you were reconciled. You were brought back. You know what you're supposed to do now? Go back out and reconcile others to God. He's given us the ministry of reconciliation. I believe we will be blessed when we go and we reconcile. I believe he gets excited when we start preaching the gospel. I believe he gets excited when we start living the gospel. (laughs) That's more than just telling people what the Bible says. That's actually going out and meeting them where they are in their need, in their trouble, and being a, a source of life to them when they're lifeless. I believe we're going to be blessed in reconciling others in our ministry of reconciliation. I also believe one day we're going to be judged according to our ministry of reconciliation. Let me let some of you folks in on a little secret. It's not Pastor Jamie's job to go and reconcile people. Look at me very clearly. It's you. This is all of our ministry. This is not the quote unquote church's ministry. 
This is an individual ministry that God has given every one of us, right? Because when he saved you, he didn't save you along with everybody else. He saved you. Now, he might have saved 16 more people with you, but he, when he saved you, he saved you. And when he gave you a ministry, he gave it to you. Amen? So we should be busy reaching people, reconciling people back to God. Amen? Verse 19. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and, and, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. You see, when God reconciled you, he didn't hold your sins against you. I'll say that again. When God reconciled you back to himself, he didn't hold your sins against you. Amen? Amen. So why in the world do we keep holding everybody else's sins against them? I believe you're spiritually mature when you can look past somebody's sin and see the promise in their life. I believe you really got it when you can look past a person's sin and still reconcile them to God. When you treat them as if they've never sinned. Because let me tell you something. When I came to Jesus, I was a wreck. I was literally trash. I am ashamed of who I used to be. I thank God that he didn't hold my sins against me. I thank God that he looked past my sin and he saw the promise over my life and he still reconciled me. Amen? I thank God he did that. He looked past it. And then now he's given me a message of reconciliation. Verse 20, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, that word ambassador means that you're a representative. You're the representative of Christ. Are you getting this? That means at your house with your kids. Uh-oh. That means at work when the boss ain't looking. That means when you're at the house by yourself and you got the TV control and you, you're looking at anything that comes on TV, you're an ambassador to Christ. You're a representative for Christ. Amen? Men, let me let you in on another little secret. Just because you go to the camp, and I know how it is at the camp, the hunting camp, you know what the quote at the hunting camp is? What goes on at the camp stays at the camp. Right? I was taught that as a young boy. First time I went to the camp. My best friend's dad looked at me. He said, son, you're going to see some crazy things. But, but make one thing clear. What goes on at the camp stays at the camp. I was like, I ain't saying nothing. <laughs> Even at the camp, you're an ambassador for Christ. Amen? Amen? At the grocery store. Even at Popeye's. You're an ambassador for Christ. I heard a story the other day. A lady went and picked up some pizza at Pizza Hut, and the lady that was, that was checking her out, the worker that was checking her out, was just looking real depressed, and she just asked her, she said, what's going on? 
And right there in the middle of working hours at Pizza Hut, this lady began to witness to the lady that was checking her out. And she encouraged her. And she planted seeds in her. The lady was crying right there in the middle. I mean, there's people like 10 feet behind her mojang on pizza. And she's over there reconciling people back to Christ. Any moment, any place, anywhere, you don't have to ask permission. You've already been given authority. If you remember, this is your ministry now. Now that you've given your life to Jesus, this is your ministry to go and reach people. He says this, he says, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That word implore literally means to beg. He's saying you should be going out begging people to give their lives to Christ. You should understand the urgency and the times that we live in. It should be your number one priority. Come on. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm trying to give you a clear vision for your life. Spirit must be working on some few of you this morning. Mm, We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Every time I read this verse, I see it like this. I I see us as believers standing. That God puts us in a place and in a position where people look to us. In your job, you might not be the president of the company, but you might be one of the ones that actually does things right. You should be. You're a believer. So people look to you for answers. They look to you for an example. All right? And so God puts you in this place. What should you be doing? Please come back to God. Everything you say, everything you do, the way you act, your attitude, what you say in the break room, should your life should be saying, please come back to God. That's what he's saying. I implore you. I implore you. I beg you. I like it. Y'all looked up to me. That's very good. Poor chair. Verse 21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He didn't hold our sins against us. He didn't treat us according to our sins. If he'd have treated us according to our sins, we'd never have a right to heaven. Come on. We'd never have a right to a relationship with him. Listen, there's some wicked, evil people out there. Some of them might even be your kids. I didn't say that to be funny. I just said that to be serious about the fact that you need to look past your son or your daughter's sin and start treating them like a child of God. Amen? Listen, I had plenty of people telling me what I was doing wrong as a young teenager. Every time I turned around, I heard what I was doing wrong. I was told what I was doing. I was constantly grounded. I was constantly being treated for my sin. But it wasn't until somebody loved me past my sin that I was able to see that there was something greater than my sin. Amen? When you read the Bible, it centers around one person, Jesus. When you learn about Jesus and you get to know Jesus, his life centers around people, you and me. Amen? The Bible centers on Jesus, but the whole time when you read the Bible and you learn about Jesus, Jesus is doing everything he can for other people. He's reaching people. 
Matthew 5, 14 in the message says you have to be light. Bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this. As public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. Be opening By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. That's the verse that you know as, so let your light shine before men. You follow what I'm saying? You're the light of the world, a city on a hill. Your Your life needs to shine. People need to know that there's something different about you. You see, the real question is, is how do people see you? How do people see you? Do they know there's been a change in your life? Can they tell? Some of you have been believers for a long time. And people say, well, yeah, they changed. I remember back in the 70s when they used to smoke a little dope and drink a little beer. You know, then they met Jesus. But, you know, now they're just kind of doing their thing. They go to church every once in a while. I mean, they go to church every Sunday, but, you know, they still cuss every now and then. Is that how people see you? Because if you're not careful, your life becomes stale, and you can be a part of a church. You can come to church every Sunday, right? Come on. But you can be just as stale as you were before you gave your life to Jesus. That's a constant battle for me. Not to go back. The children of Israel always wanted to go back to Egypt when things got tough, right? Isn't it funny as believers when things get tough, we want to just go back? Man, forget this God thing. I didn't nearly have problems before I met Jesus. No, you were a problem before you met Jesus. (laughs) You were the source of the problem. You were the problem. You kept the problem going. If Jesus was willing to give his life for his house, is it possible that we should do the same? So number one in God's vision for his house is for us to reach people. You reach people any and everywhere you go. Amen. There's no specific time. This church will start growing whenever people start reaching people. I can preach as good as anybody else, and that's not going to grow a church. The second part of God's vision for his house is to build lives. He wants us to reach people, and then he wants us to build lives. 1 Peter 2, 5 says that you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We're called to build lives. So we're called to go out and reach people, to reach the lost, bring them in, okay? Reconcile them back to Jesus. But that's not it. It doesn't just stop there. Too many movements, too many churches, too many denominations stop right there. That's all we got to get people saved. Yes, that's great. Let's get people saved. But then what? What are we going to do then? What do you mean? 
We're going to get the tithe money. We're going to keep them from cussing and smoking and drinking. Are you with me? Anybody ever been a part of that church before? Pray for me. I must be the only one. Y'all didn't grow up in the church I grew up in. The day I gave my life to Jesus, the day I was baptized, they stood us up. I was 12 years old, stood us up, a couple of my buddies, and, and we're standing in front of the church, and they would have people come up. They'd line up after service, and they'd come walk to the front, and they would give you a little word of encouragement and shake your hand and love on you and all this. It was sweet. And I remember this one lady, she'd come up to me, and, she, and mostly everybody was telling us what we couldn't do now that we've given our lives to Christ. It was like a don't do parade. I'm saying, and they nailed us. I mean, everything they said we wasn't supposed to be doing, we were doing. It was truthful. But this one lady comes up to me and she goes, I'm so proud of you, but you know now you can't look at those dirty magazines anymore. I went, how you knew? But it was a list of what you couldn't do. It was never told to me what I could do. Are you hearing me? It was never told to me that I was a child of God, that I was an ambassador for Christ, that I was seen as royalty, that I was inherited by Jesus. It was never told to me that way. It was never told to me that I'm a joint heir with Christ. It's sad. But it stopped at salvation. And it never went further. Are you hearing me? And some of you, I'll just get real with you. Some of you might even be in our church and you've given your life to Jesus and you've been sitting around waiting on somebody to say something to you to get you in and growing. Right? I'm sure there's a few of you in here. And you're going, man, I wish somebody would just, you know, take me along their side and, and disciple me or do something with me. I believe that. I can't disciple every one of you. But I am in the process of making disciples who can then turn around and disciple you. Amen? We're called to build lives. Your life should be being built. So let me ask you a question. How does a life get built? I'm glad you asked that question. Go with me to Matthew chapter 17. What is it when you, uh, when you make up this cool little thing and you got like the first letter of each word and then it makes an acronym? I thought that was it. I just didn't want to seem foolish. But I guess asking the question was kind of foolish anyway. So. But anyway, I got this cool little acronym. So how do you build people's lives? You sleep. It's weird, isn't it? You ought to be in my quiet time sometime. <laughs> sleep. The first thing you do is you spend intentional time with them. You spend intentional time with them. How do you build somebody's life? I don't want to sit here and preach my guts out to you this morning and tell you that you need to reach people and you need to build lives. And you leave here today going, man, we need to reach people and we need to build lives. So how do we do that? Are you calling, hey, how, how do we build somebody's life? I want to make sure I give you all the goods this morning. So first thing you do is you spend intentional time with them. Look at me, look at with me at Matthew chapter 17 verses 1 to 13. This is Jesus' example of what he did with a few of his disciples. Watch this. Six days later, Jesus took Peter and the two brothers, James and John, and led them up a high mountain to, to be alone. 
As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. Suddenly Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. I bet they were glad they were present when Jesus wanted to take somebody on a trip, huh? And it was a trip. Verse 4, Peter blurted out. I would have had to punch Peter right here, okay? Because Peter, like, ruined the whole thing. Okay, think about this. You, two of your brothers, and Jesus are going up on a mountainside, and all of a sudden you see Jesus' body transformed into something like a light. And then all of a sudden, boom, there's Moses. Boom, there's Elijah, and they're talking, and you're going. And Peter goes, hey, shut up. Messing it up. Peter blurted out, Lord, it's wonderful for us to be here. If you want, I'll make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Watch what happens. But even as he spoke, a bright cloud came over them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my, dear, this is my dearly loved son, who brings me great joy. Listen to him. The disciples were terrified, fell face down on the ground. I'd have got up mad. I mean, wouldn't you? I'd have loved to just listen in to what Moses and Jesus and Elijah were talking about, right? I mean, they were in the place, man. They had, they had something to go back and tell the rest of the disciples. Are you hearing me? I mean, that's good trash talking material. Because later on, they started fighting about who's the greatest in the kingdom. They could have said it was us. But Jesus was intentional to take them on a journey with him where they saw the supernatural happen. You see, if you're going to build someone's life, first of all, you need to be going somewhere. And second of all, you need to intentionally take people with you. Right? I remember in the early days when we first moved to Jennings, but. 11 or 12 years ago, me and Pastor Bubba were riding around one day. I, I, I was rained out of work. And so anytime I rained out of, on the job, I would go and hang out at the church office and hang out with Pastor Bubba. I mean, I didn't have no other friends here. So God told me to go help him. So I, I'd go hang out with him. And it was a rainy day and we're, we're riding in this, this little old Nissan. You remember the white Nissan that all of you killed? A little white Nissan. What was that? A uh, Century. This thing was small, okay? hard for me to get in and out of and I was even smaller back then but we're riding around and all of a sudden we're talking and we come up to a red light and we stop and we're behind somebody and this lady in front of us the light turns green she starts to go and she stops and Pastor Bubba's talking to me and he sees her go out of his side view and he nails it and boom he hits the back of him I was like oh great good job Pastor Bubba we're in a wreck and so her son, she has a, it's a lady and her son, he's probably in his early, mid-twenties. He gets out and he's like, he's looking the car over and Pastor Bill goes, oh God, here we go. He's kind of holding his neck and he goes, oh God. Here we go, we got a case. And so we pull into, we were right next to the funeral home. This is real funny. Right next to the funeral home and so the cop comes and he, he tells us to pull into the funeral home. So we, we're in the, under the canopy at the funeral home. And this boy is now laying down in the car. And so I'm, I'm sitting there. I mean, this is one of the first times I really got to hang out with Pastor Bubba. And I was just kind of watching. And, and so he talks to the cop. And then he's, he's really concerned about the woman. 
And I mean, he's zeroed in on this woman. And he's talking to her. And he's, he's you know how it is. Pastor Bubba's, he's a relational person. So he's, who's your mama? Who's your, who's your people? Where'd you come from? Oh, well, that's my, and this and that. And so before you know it, she's, she's sitting there telling Pastor Bubba, my son, you, you really need to pray for my son. He's battling depression and he's battling. And so this whole thing starts to escalate into a ministry opportunity. And before it's all said and done, Pastor Bubba's laying his hands on the guy in the car. Okay? Me and the cop are sitting here like this. And the mama's crying. And if I remember right, it was all a wash. I mean, there was no tickets or anything. I don't, I, I don't remember exactly, but I think it was, an all, it was all a wash and everybody just kind of went home happy. Now, I know Pastor Bubba didn't know we were going to get in a wreck that day, so he wasn't intentional about it, but we were doing life together, and I saw something incredible. I got to see his heart. You see, when you take people along with you, when you spend time with them, intentional time, people get to see your heart. You can tell them what your heart's like all you want until you're blue in the face, but until they see it, they really don't know. Amen? Let me move on or else we're going to be doing supper tonight. After church. Can we go to 2 o'clock? All right. I just don't know what y'all said. The the first thing we do is we spend intentional time with them. The second thing we do is we live it out in front of them. Go with me to Matthew chapter 15. Live it out in front of them. This is Jesus feeding the 4,000. You remember this? Jesus is living it out in front of his disciples. Verse 32, then Jesus called his disciples and told them, I feel sorry for these people. They have been here with me for three days and they have nothing left to eat. I don't want to send them away hungry or they will faint along the way. The disciples replied, where would we get enough food here in the wilderness for such a huge crowd? Jesus asked, how much bread do you have? You know, Jesus just wants to know how much you have. And he wants to show you what he can do with what little bit you have. So stop using the excuse that you don't have much to not do anything because Jesus can do anything with nothing. That was just a side note. You're welcome. Jesus said, how much bread do you have? They replied, seven loaves and a few small fish. So what happens? The disciples, Jesus blesses the fish and the loaves. He gives it to the disciples. They pass it out. Everybody eats. 4,000 men. That's not counting the children and the women. They eat until they're satisfied. And the disciples pick up seven baskets of scraps, leftovers. Wow. Jesus lived his faith out in front of his disciples. He was building their life. Remember, he was intentional. Jesus knew who these disciples were. He knew what was going to happen. He had a vision. Are you hearing me? He had a vision for their life. Watch this. The next thing he did is he encouraged them. Number three, he encouraged them. He spent intentional time. He lived it out in front of them, and he encouraged them. Matthew 16, I'm keeping you in the same place so you don't wear your your fingers out getting cramps. Matthew 16, verse 13. This is where Peter declares who Jesus is. Watch this, verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of uh, Caesarea, Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? 
Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah and one of the other prophets. Then he asked him, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Watch what Jesus tells him. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn from you did, you did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Jesus spoke life into Peter. He encouraged Peter into his ministry of reconciliation. You see that? Jesus encouraged him. Now there was many times Jesus rebuked him. Right? It wasn't long either before this or after this that Jesus called him Satan. <laughs> There's been times when I've discipled people that I've all but called them Satan. I'm serious. When you're spending time with people, when you're intentionally building people's lives, you may have to say the hard things to people. I had a guy call me this week. And for months now, I know he'd been hanging out with this guy that was discipling him who was religious. And he would send me these text messages and he was beating up on the Catholic people and he was beating up on these people in these text messages. And I was going, man, you sound just like me. But I never said nothing. And I waited till the time was right and he called me this week. He said, hey, man, I'm kind of confused. You know, I hear one thing and I hear another. I said, hey, let me tell you something, man. I said, that guy you're hanging out with? I said, he sounds like the same guy that I was hanging out with. I said, he's very religious and he's very legalistic. And if you're not careful, he's going to take you down the wrong road. And he was like, wow, I needed to hear that. Because, man, there was something in my heart saying that. I said, well, yeah, I wanted to tell you a couple months ago, but the Lord told me you wasn't going to receive it, so I just hang on to it until the time was right. But I told him the truth in love. Amen? When Jesus called Peter Satan, it wasn't out of anger. It was out of love. So when you're discipling somebody, you need to encourage them, but you may need to correct them. Amen? Just make sure you do it with the right heart. Number four, you need to equip them. Matthew chapter 10 When Jesus sends out the 12, he gives them a whole list of instructions. He equips them. I don't want you to take any money. I want you to go to these different houses. When you enter into the city, find the house. And if there's peace at that house when you get there, then you make plans to stay there. Be a blessing to the people. He says if they reject you or they treat you bad, walk out of the city, wipe the dust off your feet, and go on to the next one. Jesus equipped them to go out and do the work of the ministry. He gave them specific instructions. Amen? Number five, you pray with and for them. Matthew 26. You pray with and for them. Matthew 26, verse 36. Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Olive Grove called Gethsemane. And he said, you remember this? This is the garden. This is when Jesus was in the garden. He brought, a, he brought some disciples with him, and he brings them into the garden, and he says, okay, you guys stay right here. I believe Jesus was very nervous at this moment. 
He knew what was coming. He knew he was getting ready to really have to suffer. And he brought three disciples with him, and he said, you stay right here. I'm going alone to pray. And so Jesus walks off a little ways, and he starts to pray. Then he comes back, and they're sleeping. He says, come on, guys. The hour's coming. They didn't understand where they were. And Jesus said, stay right here and, and pray. And Jesus went off, and he prayed again. And he come back, and they're sleeping again. Then he goes off again. He comes back, and they're sleeping again. Jesus prayed with his disciples, and Jesus prayed for his disciples. Are you with me? You remember the model prayer, the one that everybody uses now before they eat supper? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. Amen. Right? That's a model for prayer. Are you hearing me? That gives a description of how you should pray. Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. If you're going to build someone's life, you need to teach them how to pray. In other words, you need to be praying yourself. And then you need to be not ashamed to pray in front of them. Amen? If you're going to reach people, you, there can't be no shame in your game. You can't be afraid. You can't be ashamed. It's not a secret. You can't treat Jesus like your dirty laundry. Come on. If you're going to reach people, if you're going to fulfill the promise that God has for you, if you're going to fulfill his vision, then you've got to get outside of yourself and you've got to go boldly, no matter when, no matter where. And you've got to say what the Holy Spirit tells you to say. You shouldn't be ashamed to, for, to pray in front of people. You should be beyond that. Nobody's judging your prayers. And if they do, you just let me know. I'll punch them in the nose. There you go. If that don't free you up, then nothing does. But y'all laughing at the way I pray? I'm going to tell Pastor Jamie. Jesus spent intentional time with his disciples. He lived it out in front of them. He encouraged them. He equipped them, and he prayed with and for them. God's vision for this house is to reach people and build lives. Amen? Thank God you were reached, huh? Thank God you've been reconciled. It would be awfully greedy for you to never go reconcile somebody else, right? It'd be awfully selfish to never tell anybody else about Jesus, wouldn't it? You know, I believe to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, when you enter into the gates of heaven, I believe you have to be somebody who is unashamedly telling others about Jesus. You have to be somebody that understands the hope that you have inside of you and the change that's going on in your life so much that you just, you can't help but tell people about Jesus. Amen? That's who we should be. Listen, God sets you up all the time. Most of the time, we just miss it. He sets you up with people that are hurting, people that are going through hell in their lives. And he, he just collides your, your two worlds together. And he's, he's sitting there hoping that you'll start to reconcile them. Can I tell you, many times I've blown it. Many times I've missed it. Opportunities. 
you go somewhere and you run into somebody and you're like, man, my wife, she's, she's strung out on drugs. You know, you sit there and go, oh, man, that's sad, man. I'm sorry to hear that. Well, I'll see you later. I've blown it. I've missed it. But I'm not stopping. Amen? If you've been ashamed of Jesus, then stop being ashamed and change your ways today. Amen? If you're nervous and, and kind of scared to go and reach people, give that fear to Jesus and go on about your business and reach people in your own way. You don't have to have a, a theology degree to tell people about Jesus. Right, Zach? Number one, your life should be saying it before you even open your mouth. Your marriage should be speaking it. Your children should be speaking it. Amen? God's vision is to reach people and build lives. Listen, the sooner we get them reached and the sooner we build them up, the sooner we get to get out of here. I don't know about you, but I don't see what the world has to offer. I'm tired of it. I mean, you can't even enjoy Bluebell without having to go get another size pant. You know what I'm saying? I believe when we get to Jesus, when we get to heaven, there's going to be blue bell and you don't have to change your pants. <laughs> Amen? Stand up with me this morning, please. I want you to do something today. I'm going to send you home with a little homework. It's a challenge. I'm challenging you. In other words, I double dog dare you to do this. I dare you to write down five names on a piece of paper and put it in some place in your house where your wife's not going to come by and throw it away. Five names of people that you know aren't saved. They don't know Jesus, and I want you to do this. I want you to start praying over them. Whenever, whatever, however you want to pray, whenever you want to pray over them. But you take responsibility for their souls. Five people. And you keep praying. Listen to me. I prayed for my daddy when he was living four hours away and going through his fourth or fifth divorce. And he was so distraught that he was, he was walking the, the track at the school at five o'clock in the morning. Every morning. Just to, that's what divorced people do, I guess. He was a wreck. His life was a wreck. And I'd been, I'd been living it in front of him. I'd been preaching the gospel to him. But I physically could not be there with him. Watch what I did. I prayed. I said, Lord, I can't be there, but I pray that you send a man of God to reach my daddy. Send a man of God, Lord, to reach my daddy. Lo and behold, a couple weeks later, my dad's walking around the track. There's another guy walking around the track. That guy finally catches up with my dad, and they start talking. That guy goes to a spirit-filled church up in the Shreveport area, which wasn't but 30 minutes from where my daddy lived. Before you know it, my dad goes to church with this guy. His first time at church, they got worship going on, and they dim the lights just like we do, and an average service for them. My dad told me, he said, son, it was like an outer body experience. It was like the lights were completely off and there was some kind of angel there with me. The whole time I'm sitting there going, booyah, Lord, you popped him. Oh, you got him, Lord. You answered my prayers. Woo! I couldn't be there, but God can be there. Amen. 
We're not the only believers on the planet. They're all over this nation. Amen. So if it's somebody that you can't physically get your hands on, pray and believe God to touch them. Amen. There's people that are dying out there. They need us. They need hope. That's what God is passionate about. He's passionate about reaching the lost. He wants to populate heaven. Amen? He wants to clean out hell. Fill people, fill heaven up with people. Listen, I want a lot of people in heaven. When we throw a party, I like a lot of people to come over. I'm serious. We go, we would, LSU makes a national championship. We got 20 kids running around the house. You can't watch the game. I love it. I want to get to heaven and be with a lot of people. Amen? So let's reach people and build lives. Five people. I want you to take responsibility for them. Can you do that? That's my challenge for you today. Don't forget November the 11th, we're having our miracle offering. We're asking you to pray to give your best gift. And this morning, I want to pray with you over these five people because I believe most of you already know their names. Lift your hands to heaven this morning. Father, I pray right now in agreement with everyone in here, Lord, for all the people that are here, the people that they're thinking of right now, Father, the lost, I say to them, come back in the name of Jesus. Come back to God in Jesus' name. Say that with me, church. Say, come back to God. Come back to God. In the name of Jesus, I pray, come back to God. Lord, show us your power. Show us your love and your compassion. Change our heart. Lord, help us to be people that are passionate about other people. So much, Lord, that everything else in our lives just just takes a second seat. It, It sits on the back seat, Lord. Help us to be as passionate about people as you are, Jesus. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Give somebody a hug, a high five. Tell them it's good to see them at church. Thank you for coming today. Have a great week. Be blessed. We'll see you next Sunday.